My name is Beth, if you don't know me, and I'm just going to sort of recap what we did two weeks ago since we were not here last week. But two weeks ago, Brandy Shorey brought a powerful message about how God is leading his people from the mountain of fear to the mountain of joy and how what we experience here on this earth is just a glimpse of what we get to experience for eternity. I really encourage you to check out the sermon if you haven't heard it. There is a pretty epic story about um, going to a, um, oh shoot, why did I just forget her name? Oh my gosh, a concert. Thank you. Oh my gosh, I was like Jackson, but not Michael, a uh, uh, Janet Jackson concert, so it's pretty great. Um, and then today, um, Steve is going to be wrapping up our series in Hebrews. Uh, we made it, guys. If you looked at if you looked at your um, notes, it's called In Conclusion. So, you know, we're concluding the series. So um, without any further ado, welcome Steve. Okay, so this morning, like Beth said, we are finally going to wrap up our Jesus is Better series through the book of Hebrews. Everybody say, ah, oh, come on, you didn't mean it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we made it, okay? So here we are, last message in our series. We have been at this for like eight months together, um, and, and we're going to wrap that up together this morning. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for us. Uh, if you could, would you just stand with me? Right where you are, we're just going to pray. We're going to just invite the Lord to speak and to minister to us through his word, yeah? How many of you guys believe that God hears us when we pray? Yeah? How many of you believe this morning that God wants to speak to you? I'll tell you right now, if you, if you don't believe it, like, first of all, it's true. But second of all, you're really missing out if you show up to church and don't think God has something to say. Yeah? So, like, like if I were you, I'd stay in bed if God didn't have anything to say. Okay? So, so we're going to pray. And, and I just love the fact that God loves to speak. I love the fact that God loves to meet with us. I love the fact that God's word is true and that God can transform and change our hearts and minds and lives by his word if we'll receive it. And so we're going to pray. And I'm going to invite you just to pray. I'm going to invite you to just invite the Lord to speak to you this morning because God wants to say something to you. So let's pray together. Father, we just come before you right now in the name of your son. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this opportunity to be together. God, we thank you for your word. God, thank you that you love to speak to us. Thank you that you're not a silent father, but God, that you are an active father. Lord, you speak. God, you want us to know you, and God, you want us to know who you've made us to be in you. And so I pray this morning, Father, as we open up your word, God, that you would speak to every single heart in this room. God, that, that you would speak your word, your truth, your life in us. And Father, that every heart in this room this morning would be prepared to receive you. Just, just take a second right where you are if you would and just, just invite the Lord to speak to you this morning. Just tell him, God, I want to hear from you this morning. Just tell him, God, God, I want you to speak to me this morning. And God, I'm listening for you. Father, I thank you that it's not a mistake that we're here. God, that you knew that every single one of us would be in this place today. God, that you purposed for us to be here for a word that you might speak to us. God, I pray that, that every set of ears would be open to hear and hearts to receive. God, have your way in us this morning. Have your way through us this morning. God, plant the seed of your word in good and fertile soil, Lord, in our hearts. And God, may that seed grow to produce good fruit in us. God, we love you this morning. We commit this time that we have right now to you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right. If you have your Bible, you can open it up to Hebrews chapter 13. And, and, and just to preface this chapter, I'll, I'll warn you in advance that, that if you haven't ever read Hebrews chapter 13 before, uh, what you'll find is that, that it sort of has the feel of someone who's trying to have a big, important conversation while their cell phone is dying. Ever, anybody ever been there? Like, like you're trying to say a bunch of stuff because you know your battery's down to like 2% and you got a lot you got to get out there. That, that's kind of what 
this chapter is like. It feels a little bit hurried and, and all over the map, right? It has this, this kind of flow where, where the author is going to be like, hey, um, love each other like family, be hospitable to strangers, care about those uh, who are uh, uh, in prison, guard your marriage, uh, um, um, don't love money, consider the tabernacle. Um, it's all about grace. Let's go outside the camp with Jesus. Okay, got it. Let me pray for you. That, that's the flow of this chapter, okay? It, 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 you ever heard of garbage pizza? Anybody? Like, gar, if you're not familiar with gar, garbage pizza, is like it's pizza that's like cheese and sauce and whatever else you find in your fridge to put on it, right? So it's like cheese and sauce and then like some random collection of meat, fruits, vegetables, leftover spaghetti, applesauce. Like, like whatever you got, you just throw. That's what this, this is the garbage pizza chapter of Hebrews, which is sort of weird because as we've gone through Hebrews, it seems like the author takes a lot of time to talk about one thing, right? And he does it over and over again. And sometimes, I mean, you've heard it as we've preached. We've been like, man, it seems like we talked about this three weeks ago, and now we're talking about it again. It seems like we talked about this two weeks ago, and now here we are talking about it again. And it's almost like the author of Hebrews had a 13-chapter book deal, got through a chapter 12, and realized he had a lot more to say. Okay, and so that now he's just going to pack it all in and be like, okay, I got, a, got some stuff left. Here it is. Let me give it to you. This is, this is it. This is the conclusion. So this is the final words of, of the writer of Hebrews to the church, to the Hebrew Christians, and, and really to us. And how, how many of you know, though, that when you know you're at the end of what you want to say, you kind of say what you think really matters? So, so, so when you know you, you only have a minute left to share something, you, you, you try to get in at the end what you believe really matters, what's really important. And, and this is what the writer of Hebrews is doing for us here. He, through this whole book, has said to the church, listen, I, I want you to know and understand that Jesus is better that, 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 that Jesus is, is better than the prophets and he's better than the angels. He's better than, than any person, any super religious person or leader that you could think of. He's better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. He's better than Aaron and all the priesthood. He's, he's better than the law and religion, than the sacrificial system in the old covenant with all of its rules and rituals and systems. Not that they were bad, but, but Jesus is just better because all of that other stuff just served to point us towards and to him because he's the the most superior the most high the most sufficient greater than anything or anyone else forever and everything that you need for life and godliness and fulfillment and purpose and joy and eternity is founded in him and him alone and because Jesus is better because his grace has purchased you because his words and promises are true don't turn back don't give up don't give in have faith set your eyes and your heart and your mind upon him the author and perfecter of your faith and run with perseverance. Remember the race that he's marked out for you all the way to the very end, right into eternity. And with all that in mind, all that he's been teaching, all that he's been telling us to, to understand and receive about who Jesus is, he comes to this conclusion and says, okay, now let me just leave you with some final instructions, with some final words of encouragement to help you navigate this faith journey. And so I'm going to do something this morning that I'm actually pretty sure that, that in all my years of ministry and preaching, I've actually never done on a Sunday before, and that is preach an entire chapter of a book of the Bible. Some of you, that makes you excited. Other people are nervous right now. Um, but, but we're going to try to do it. Okay, you ready? Are you guys ready? Come on. Ready? Like, this is God. All right. All right. Let's go. All right. Hebrews chapter 13. Start in verse 1. Here's what it says. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Okay. Let's stop right there. That's a good start. Okay. In other words, he's saying, listen, church, remember, we're family. Okay? That God's our father. He brought us into his family. We don't, we're not, we're not only children. I think somebody mentioned that last time. We're not only children. We have this family. God put us in this family. And the heart of God is not only that we love our father, but that we love the family, right? 
that, that we love our brothers and sisters, that it is an expectation of us as the sons and daughters of God. It's actually one of the things Jesus commanded for us to do. Jesus, over and over again in the Gospels, you'll read, he says to his disciples, look, love one another, love one another, love one another. In John chapter 13, Jesus puts on a towel, he takes this position of a slave, and he gets down and he washes his disciples' dirty, disgusting feet, and he says to them, now the same thing in the same way that I serve you, serve one another like that, love one another like that. And he says in verses 34 and 35, he says, listen, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love love one another, and by this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Jesus is big on the idea that we as his sons and daughters, we as the people of God would love one another like brothers and sisters, so much so that he made it a, a commandment. It's not just a good idea. It's not a good principle. It's not a nice thing to do. It's actually part of our gospel witness to the world. So, so loving one another is a big deal, and, and if you come to this church often, you hear me talk about it a lot, and sometimes I feel like, like I'm beating a drum, but, but that's because it matters so much, because it's so important, and, and I just think, man, what would happen, what would it look like, what would the world experience if the church actually loved one another like family? God commands us to love because it isn't natural for us. Because it isn't easy, because sometimes it's really hard. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but people are hard to love. Even sometimes people you like. Even sometimes people in your own house. Even people you're married to. Even children you gave life to. Right? True? Right? Like, like people are hard to love. They just are. And like, there's days where you're just like, man, I'm not sure if I like you at all. But God, that's what I love about the Bible. Jesus isn't like, look, like everyone a lot, okay? Because he already knows we're not going to like. Jesus had a moment where he looked at his disciples and he's like, how long do I have to be with you? Right? That's in the Bible, right? Jesus said that. I feel like I, I can say it if Jesus said that. I've said that before. I look at all the people in my house and go, man, how long do I got to be here, God? Like, help me, help me, Lord. And so, right, Jesus had that moment where he's like, I don't like you guys very much right now, but I love you. I love you. I'm committed to you. Uh, maybe for us the best place to, to consider our love for one another is simply to take that most popular text in 1 Corinthians 13. Right? And just evaluate our own life against that and our relationships to one another. We all know it. We've all heard that, right? In 1 Corinthians 13, it tells us about love. What does it say? It says, well, love is patient. Right? Well, so, so that's, is my love patient? Is my love towards you patient? Am I long-suffering with you? Am I willing to endure with you? Right? Love is kind. Am I, am I harsh towards you? Or, 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 or am I, do I express kindness Towards you. Love, it says, doesn't brag and it, it's not proud. Is there humility in my love towards you? Am I humble in the way that I treat you, in the way that I am towards you and with you? It says that love does not dishonor, okay, meaning that we, we, we speak well of one another, meaning that we believe the best of one another. In fact, one of the things Jesus points to in Matthew 24 about the darkness of the last days is he says that brothers and sisters will betray one another. And so he speaks to this idea of that they won't honor one another, they'll betray one another. Love doesn't dishonor, it honors. It says love's not self-seeking. Am I loving you for my sake? Am I loving you for what you can give to me? Or, or, or is my love a gift to you? It says love's not easily angered. Am I just easily set off by you? Am I just easily triggered by you, being around you, listening to you? Am I offended by you? That's a tough one in our day today. Love, love keeps no record of wrongs. Am I just building a case against you? Am I stacking up a bunch of things about you? Love, it says, does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. means that I'm going to be honest with you, right? I, I'm not going to celebrate with you what isn't good. I'm going to rejoice in what is good and right and true. We're going to find our relationship centered in Christ. 
says love always protects and trusts and hopes and perseveres. And so, so for us this morning, we could simply say, is that true about me? Look, I don't get to pick for you. Okay, like I, I, I tell people all the time, I would love to decide for you what you did, but I don't get to pick for you. You have to choose for you. But, but is this, if I'm being honest, is this true for me in my life? Is this true about how I am towards the family of God? Does this define my relationship in the way that I am? The author of Hebrews says to continue loving one another as brothers and sisters, and the expectation then is that we don't give up on it, that, that we continue in that. It doesn't have an expiration date. Don't stop loving one another. Don't stop blessing one another. Don't stop serving one another. Don't stop praying for one another. Don't stop contending for one another because that's really love. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 2. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers for by doing some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Now, now this verse would have no doubt been a reminder to these Hebrews about Abraham's encounter in Genesis chapter 18 where, where it says that three men show up and he offers hospitality to them. He gives them food to eat and and, and water to drink and, and helps care for them. And it turns out in the end of that that two of those men were angels and one was the Lord himself. And so what's the idea here? Well, the idea is, is that we treat people as though we were treating Jesus. We, we, we treat people like it's God himself. And, and, and that's, there's so much truth in that, right? Because the Bible even tells us that every single person on the planet has been made in the image and likeness of God. That every single person that we encounter on the planet is an image bearer of God, okay? And the heart of God is for every single person on the planet to know him, and God has uniquely positioned you for that to happen. In other words, this world is not our home it is our mission field, and you can't reach it by keeping people at a distance. So, sometimes the, the message of the church can feel a, a little bit more like this fear-mongering that says, don't get too close to those sinners or you'll catch the disease yourself. And, and, and that isn't to say that we shouldn't be wise, because the reality is, is that there are some places I shouldn't go and some things I shouldn't do because I'm too weak there. Okay? But, but, and, and so we have to know that. Scripture's not like, hey, be dumb. Hope it works out for you, okay? That, that, that's not the invitation of Scripture, right? But the, the idea, though, is that you would be in positions and, and you would be in places and God has placed you there for the sake of the people around you. Okay, I, I know I just, I don't know if you guys saw that, but just recently, um, uh, Lauren Daigle, who's awesome, right? Like, I, I love her. Her album's great if you haven't heard it. Re she was just recently on the Ellen DeGeneres show, okay? And, 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 and I saw it, and I was like, oh, that's awesome. Ellen was on, on Ellen, or Lauren was on Ellen. Super cool. But then there was, like, all this backlash. Like, I can't believe she was on Ellen, and, you know, all, like, is she losing her faith? Is she walking away? It's like, what? What are we even talking about right now? It's like, no, no, light is supposed to go into darkness. Light is supposed to shine in the darkness. Jesus said we're supposed to be a light that we don't put it under a bowl. We actually put it on its stand so it gives light to everybody else. Like, that's what it looks like to be people who interact with the culture, to take what God's given you in the sphere of influence you have and bring Jesus to that place. I was like, awesome. Yeah, it's cool. We're not called to fear the world, right? We're called to reach the world with the love and the grace and truth of Jesus. And sometimes the church can make our message and mission platform come out from them and be separate, but the writer of Hebrews says, have them over for dinner, right? That's how Jesus did it. Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors, with the, the Pharisees. It was the, the legalistic people who, who looked at Jesus and questioned him. and was like, what is he doing? Doesn't he know who they are and all those kinds of things? We just recently had this discussion in our small group, uh, Dora and Alex. I don't even know if they're here today, but shout out to Dora and Alex if they are. Um, they're awesome. If you're not in a community group, come be a part of ours. You'll be glad that you did. Uh, shameless plug for the Gallegos small group. Um, but, but, but anyway, Jesus is eating with, with sinners and tax collectors, it says. And actually, somebody in my small group was like, man, I wish that really told us here what Jesus said to them. Like, what was the conversation Jesus had? Wouldn't that have been nice to know? Like, how did he interact with them? Like, what was the, what was the conversation like? And I just thought about it, and I thought, no, no, no. Like, the Holy Spirit didn't forget to put in the text what Jesus said. That wasn't the point. It, because I think what God knew is that if he did that, if he told us what Jesus said, we would make that the rule about how you interact with people. Because we're so rule-oriented. So, so he didn't tell us any of that because that wasn't the point. The point is you'd be with them. 
Okay? The, the point is that you would have encounters, interactions with people who don't know Jesus so they can. And you would believe and dare to believe that if you do that, God will minister through your life and your witness. You don't have to know what to say. You just need to show up and tr- believe the Lord. Yeah? In the church today, there's really two predominant sort of ministry philosophies and on evangelism or mission. One is this idea of the attractional church, right? And, and basically it's this idea that, that we're going to build this huge building, we're going to have a gym, a coffee house, a cafe, a pool, you know, all, all, all this kinds of stuff. And then your job is to bring people to church and I'm going to lead them to Jesus. And that's kind of the idea. And I'm not knocking that at all. I have lots of friends who are in ministry who, who that's kind of the, the way that it works. And lots of people do come to Jesus. That's just not our ministry philosophy here. Our, our ministry philosophy or the second one is this idea of incarnational ministry. And it's the idea that, that it's not your job to bring people church, to church. It's your job to be the church. And it's your job to go into the spheres and the places where God has called you to influence and for you to bring the gospel there in your neighborhood, to your school, to your family, to, to, to your environment, to wherever it is that God leads you, that, that God has positioned you specifically there for that case. And I'm not saying don't bring people to church, okay? Because bring them. God can reach people. God loves people. He wants to reach people in all kinds of ways. And if he wants them to come here and hear the gospel, and get saved, great, but your job, your mission is not to get them here. It isn't my job to save all the people that you're connected to. That's why God put you there. So, so that's the goal. The role that we, we uh, for our church here at the edge, we say, no, we want you to be empowered and equipped and understand that you have a call and a mission and God's placed you where he has and we want to see people encounter Jesus because of you. So, Though we aren't called to be of the world, we are called to be in it, right? And God's placed you where he has so that people can meet him. God wants you to partner with him in what he's doing in the world. And and, and this actually requires an initiative on your part, right? Because most of the time, your neighbors aren't going to knock on your door and ask if they can come over to eat. You, you, you need to be able to invite people, which can be a little bit awkward and scary, right? A little bit uncomfortable. But, but dare to step out and see how God might use you. And, and one of the things that I'm reminded of is just that story of Jesus eating with the sinners and tax collectors. And, and, and one of the things that I believe that, that we miss sometimes is simply the power of presence. And, and we miss understanding that we carry the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in us. And so wherever we go and wherever we are, the Holy Spirit is there with us. The presence of God is there. And so what happens when people encounter God's presence is anything's possible. I'm also convinced that the reason some of us find ourselves bored out of our mind when it comes to our faith is because we're standing around really doing nothing and we're not actively on the mission. So, so it, it, it's not fulfilling to not live out your mission. It, it, it feels stagnant. It feels like you're not moving. It feels like nothing's happening because nothing's happening, okay? And, and, and if we're only the church in here and, and not out there, then we're actually not being the church because God has placed you where you are to reach those around you, and he has placed us where, we, where he's placed us as a church so that we can reach the people around us, so that we can have an impact in our city here in Aurora. So, like, it's not a mistake for us, right? Reaching where God has placed us, reaching the people in our spheres of influence, that's what the invitation here, reach Welcome the strangers. Be hospitable. Invite somebody over. Everybody can do that. All right, let's keep going. Verse 3. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves are suffering. So, so not only is it incarnational ministry in the sense that, that, that we are to be the hands and feet uh, of Jesus where he has placed us, it, it's also incarnational in the ministry that, uh, in the sense that we are supposed to go to people who can't come to us. So, so, like, there are people who aren't able to come and be with us where we are. And so God says, hey, go and be with them where they are. Like, like go and bring the gospel to them. Remember the story that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 25 about Judgment Day. And he's separating two groups of people, those who are, who are going to be entering heaven and those who are going to be in hell. And he says to the latter group, he says, well, you know what? I, you didn't feed me and you didn't 
give me any water to drink and, and you didn't clothe me and, and, and I was a stranger and you didn't invite me in and, and I was sick and you didn't care for me and I was a prisoner and you didn't visit me and, and they look at Jesus and they're like, when did we see you like that and not do these things? You remember what Jesus said to them? J- Jesus says to them what? He says, whatever you did or didn't do to the least of these, that's what you did or didn't do to me. In other words, we have a responsibility as ambassadors of our Lord and Savior to love people like we're loving Jesus himself. To love everyone without qualifiers. To be like Jesus who came not to be served but to serve. To be his hands and feet and care for the hurting and broken and mistreated and the needy. We just had a team that just came back from Haiti. Did you guys see that? Like we had, we had people in Haiti. Dave was out there. Neil was out there. Adrian. Uh, they, they just went for like a week and they were out there just loving people in the Lord. Serving people. Meeting practical needs. Providing medical care. Right? Like, like those people weren't coming to them. They, they weren't going to be able to come over and say, hey, could you help me out? Right? It was like, no, no, no. I know that you have this need. I'm going to come to where you are. There's so many ways that you can do this, right? So, so, so here's the encouragement for you this morning, church. Do something, okay? Do, do, do something. The opportunities are, are endless. There are so many organizations around locally and internationally and in the world that you can participate in. You don't have to do everything, but everyone can do something, yeah? Try something. See how God uses you. It, it's not only going to bless the people you're ministering to. I can promise you that. Uh, for, for me, I've been uh, ministering and mentoring at Wayside Cross here in Aurora for the last eight years, a little bit over eight years. And, and, and I tell the guys that I'm with there all the time, like, man, I hope you guys get half as much out of your time with me as I get out of my time with you. Yeah. Like, like. I'm, I tell you, when you show up to let God minister through you, God will minister to you. God will speak to you. God will, will show, reveal himself to you. God will use you in all kinds of ways, okay? Now, so, so do it. So get out there. So do so, try something. See what happens. Dare to try something. Be a little bit courageous. Now, even having said that, the, the fact is, is that, that this verse 3 here in Hebrews is, is most specifically talking about, about those who are being persecuted for their faith, those who are suffering, those, those who are imprisoned because of their faith. And, and I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but right now uh, in our world, there's more than 200 million Christians being persecuted for their faith in Jesus. Last year alone, more than 3,000 Christians were executed because of their faith. That's a lot. In fact, that's twice as many as the year before. We as a church have committed to praying for the persecuted church. It's one of the things that we committed to at the beginning of the year. And there's great organizations that are out there like Voice of the Martyrs who, who, who make you aware of this. There's actually, uh, you can go to a prisoneralert.com and, and, and on there you'll just find stories of people who have been imprisoned for their faith. And what they'll even do is, is you can even write a letter to the person who's in prison and they will translate it into their language and send it. And you can actually uh, try to appeal to their government as well to see them go free. Uh, I'll tell you just a couple of stories uh, right quick. Right now there's a girl who's 16, Leah Sharibu in Nigeria. Nigeria. She was kidnapped by Boko Haram. And and they held her hostage because she refused um, to deny uh, her allegiance to Christ. And so they're, they're... what they believe for, about her situation right now is that not only is she being abused, but at some point she's going to be sold. This is a 16-year-old girl who wouldn't renounce her faith in Jesus. Ibrahim Firuzi in Iran, he's a convert from Islam. He's been in prison since 2011 for sharing his faith. He was supposed to be released in 2015, but they retried him then and then and just sentenced him for five more years just because. There's Abraham ben Moses, that's not his original name, but he's a convert from Islam to Christianity in, in Indonesia. And, and he, he was sentenced to prison after a video surfaced of him sharing his faith to a cab driver. Like, like this is, these are our brothers and sisters. This is the family of God around the world. And, and there's people who are locked up and imprisoned and being abused and tortured and neglected and all kinds of things because they follow Christ. 
And, and, and the writer of Hebrews is like, listen, remember those people. Remember, you, you can't remember people you don't know even exist. And so part of it is like, we got to educate ourselves. Like, like we have to be aware of what's happening. And then what can I do? How can we love our brothers and sisters? Well, one of the things we can do is we can pray for them. We just said when we started that we believe God hears prayer. The Bible says that the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. God can do more in five seconds than you and me could do in five years. So we pray. We, we as a church have committed this whole month of November to praying for the persecuted church. Every week, if you're not aware, you can go on our Facebook page or if you get our prayer email. Uh, like every single week we're praying for people persecuted around the world. Man, that, that's, God, that's the invitation to us. We pray for them. We, we love them. These are our brothers and sisters. So, so I would just encourage you, join with us in that prayer. Um, again, you can go on our Facebook page, find out. There's tons of information on there. Becky has been putting great stuff out there. All kinds of links, too. You can click on links. You can find out people's stories. There's so much that's available to us, but we want to be lifting up our brothers and sisters around the world and believing that God will meet them where they're at. Believing that God will not only just minister his peace and presence upon them, that God can even open the doors like he did for, for, for his disciples who were in prison, that he can open up those doors and set them free. All right, let's keep going. Verse 4, marriage should be honored by all and marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Now, this is pretty self-explanatory. Um, marriage should be honored by everyone. That's what he's saying. Okay, the word honor literally means precious. We ought to treat marriage like it's something precious, like it's something that really matters, that it's like it's something that's of great worth and great value, something worth guarding and protecting and, and fighting for. And I think we already know this, but the reality of our our day and our, our culture, both in and out of the church, is that somewhere near 60% of marriages end in divorce. That's a reality. Now, now, now I can say this with all certainty that, that divorce happens because honor doesn't. Now, now, I'm not, if you're here this morning, listen, this isn't written and I'm not speaking this so that if you're here and you've been divorced, like, you should feel guilty and ashamed. That's not what this is about. There is grace that, that covers us. But the call here is that we are to be a people who honor marriage, who fight for marriage, who nurture that marriage and invest into it. Because the result of not honoring that is always hurt and pain and heartbreak. Notice, too, that the writer specifically points to sexual sin here because this is one of the ways that we dishonor that breaks that union, that breaks that oneness of our relationship. Sexual sin tends to ruin marriages, and it doesn't only tend to ruin marriages when you're in them. It often ruins them before you ever get there. Because when that's a way of being in your life, it's something you bring into marriage with you. So, so no matter who you are, ultimately, Scripture saying whether you're married or single, honor marriage, okay? Not only for the sake of, of marriage itself, but for the sake of the gospel. The Apostle Paul talks about marriage in Ephesians chapter 5, and when he gets done, he says, listen, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Marriage is meant to be this display to the world about how Jesus loves his church, and so when we don't honor that, when we don't show that and display that, we're telling the world and displaying to the world something other than who Jesus is. We're showing them something different. Honor marriage, he says. God, God does. That's, that's, if you're married this morning, that's something to consider. Am I honoring my marriage? Am I nurturing it? Am I fighting for it? Am I guarding and protecting that? Is my marriage reflecting Jesus? Let's keep going. Verses 5 and 6, it says, Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have, because God said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Now, now I've heard this passage preached before, um, where, where the goal is sort of to make rich people feel really guilty and ashamed for having money, and then they pass a plate, right? And, and the idea here is that you shouldn't have that money, we should. Okay, but, but, but the reality is, is that, the, that, that, that the Bible doesn't speak against having money or wealth, right? It isn't wrong to be wealthy and it isn't virtuous to be poor. 
The, the point isn't ultimately about what you have. It is about what has you. Martin Luther once said that there are three conversions a person needs to experience. The conversion of the head, the conversion of the heart, and the conversion of the pocketbook. In Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18, it says to us, You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. In other words, you don't have wealth because of what you did. You have it because of what God gave to you and what he enabled you to do. This is the reason for why God even instituted the tithe in the Old Testament, right? Why it's still good for us to give tithes and offerings today. That, that, that idea was that, that they would give 10% to the Lord because it serves as a reminder that it's all God's anyways, right? It all comes from him. So it isn't hard to give because it's his. How, how many of you know it's easier to give other people's money away? Yeah? Like it's way easier. It's like, well, this isn't mine, right? I feel okay giving that. And, and so the idea here isn't that you're like, oh, man, God, I got to give X amount. It's like, God, you let me keep that much? Right? This is yours and you're letting me have some of this? That's amazing. You're letting me use this? You're letting me steward this? The, the reason for why a lot of Christians don't give today and aren't generous is because they have the wrong perspective. They, they believe wrongly that the resources they have belong to them. Rather than understand that everything that they have, they've been given by God to steward for him. So that question for us never really comes down to God, to me saying, well, what, what is it that I feel like doing with my money? It's God, what do you want me to do with yours? Whatever you want, you can have it. It's all yours. It belongs to you, God. I know that you're not going to leave me. That's why it says that. I know you're not going to forsake me. Right? So, 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 so I'm content. My, my confidence is not in what I have, but it's in the fact that you have me. So, so I'm not striving for, to have all these things. I, I'm, I'm content. That word content means satisfied. I, I'm satisfied. I, I'm not chasing after stuff. I'm chasing after you, God. Look, for us this morning, we got to say, am I content? It's not to say that, like, like I shouldn't, like, get out of debt and stuff. It's like, though, am I, is my life spent striving to have more, or am I content and chasing after the Lord? Am I believing that, God, you are my portion and you are my provision, and, God, you are going to provide what I need as I follow after you? The point is, ultimately, that I'm not chasing the gifts. I'm chasing the giver, and my heart is in him, and my life is for him. And he's who I'm after. Let's keep going. Verse 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. No, notice the author of Hebrews expects that you have leaders. Okay? In your faith community. Some people are like, oh, we should just do it. Like, like this is what the New Testament outlined. That there would be pastors and elders and, and leaders and all those kinds of things. God ordained that. And the writer of Hebrews uh, uh, expects that. And he says, listen, you're going to have leaders. Okay? Not a leader. You notice that? But leaders. Okay? The Bible doesn't teach that that that. that there's one person who leads the faith community, but that there's, there's this plurality of leadership. The churches are led by elders. That's why we have an elder team, a pastor team here at the church who oversees this Edge Church family together. And, and leaders are, are meant to be those who you can follow. You're meant to be able to imitate them, okay? And you're supposed to imitate the ones who speak God's word to you, not their own good thoughts, not their own good ideas, not their own opinions on matters. This is why when you come on a Sunday, we open God's word and we preach out of the Bible. I don't like open up a blog and tell you what somebody else thinks about something else and then we talk about it. Because at the end of the day, nobody's word is going to change your life, but God's word can. And, and so it says that if you have leaders who will speak the word of God to you, follow them. And it says imitate their faith, not imitate them, Okay? Like, don't try to be somebody else. Don't try to be me for the love of God, okay? The world does not need two of me, okay? And half of you guys can't grow your hair out anyways. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying, Tay. I'm just kidding. You guys look great. But, but, but the goal isn't to imitate your leaders. It's to imitate their faith, right? It's to follow Jesus as they follow Jesus. As they... Obey him as they worship him, as they serve him. Do like that too. That, that, that sort of assumes that you have leaders who follow Jesus and are worthy of following. 
And this verse directly connects to verse 17, which is one that oftentimes when people preach Hebrews 13, they skip over, but we're not going to. Here's what it says. It says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Now, again, that's pretty straightforward and probably a little bit uncomfortable. It says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Now, now to be clear and for us to remember, submission is not something someone puts upon you, but it is a place where you position yourself under. Okay, that, that's why for us as a church, and we have church membership, we believe that belonging to a church is a big idea, but we also believe that's your decision. So, so we also believe that when it comes to belonging to a faith community and having leaders that, that you will act, per, give yourself to submitting to and following and all those things, that that's not up to me, that's up to you. That's a choice that you make. So, so, so let me say this to you, don't ever belong to a faith community if you have leaders you can't submit to. And don't ever submit yourself somewhere or follow leaders who aren't woefully aware that they will one day give an account before God. For you. Don't ever submit yourself somewhere where where the leaders of that place aren't convinced that they're going to stand before God and have to give an account for you and your life. Otherwise, if they're not that person, they're going to end up building a church that's more concerned with themselves and less concerned with the body. Now, now let me also say this as I do. If you find yourself going to churches and you can't find any leaders that you can submit to, I might offer to you that the problem is not the leaders but yourself, okay? Because the reality then is probably not that there aren't leaders that you can submit to. There's just leaders you won't submit to. If you have leaders who speak God's word to you, if you have leaders who submit to Christ, who follow him, who pray for you, who encourage you in the Lord, uh, who encourage the body, who don't shrink back from hard truths but bring forth the word of God, who lead by example, the Bible says follow them and submit to them. Why does it say that? It says, it says, well, ultimately so that their work will be a joy and not a burden because that's not a benefit to you. In other words, it says seek the joy of your pastors for the sake of your own joy. It's kind of selfish, right? But, but, but ultimately what he's saying is like, listen, if you want to be in a place to receive from the ministry that, that God is, has put upon leaders to bring forth to you, then, then you want to help your leaders lead in joy. You're not trying to make that hard on them and make that worse for them and make them not want to lead. You're not trying to make them not want to be around you. You know what I'm saying? Like, like help them out. That's not a small thing, okay? This is, this is a big thing. They are charged to keep watch over your soul. I, I don't even think I could unpack how big of a deal that is. It's a big deal. There's, there's a lot we could talk about there, but I'll just say, how's that working out? What does that look like in your life? When you read that, when you consider that, what is, how has that played out for you in your faith? How has that played out for you and your community? What does that look like? If you don't know what that looks like, ask God to show you. Ask him to lead you in that and find out. All right, let's keep going. Verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, in case you didn't know that. In case you didn't know, God never changes. He's the one constant. He's not like us. He doesn't get over emotional and change his mind. He doesn't go by how he feels today and then how he feels is different tomorrow. God is the same always, which means we can trust him. Isn't that good? Isn't it good? Man, I, I love the fact that God is unchanging, that he's unwavering, that he's uncorruptible, right? Like, like he, you, he, he's not going to just change who he is. He's going to be the same always. He, he's going to be faithful to the very end all the time. Okay, verses 9 through 12, it says this. It says, don't be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through 
his own blood. What's all that about? We've had lots of conversations through Hebrews about the tabernacle, the altar, sacrificial system, all that stuff. Here's the big idea. He's like, church, remember, it's all about Jesus and it's all about grace. Okay, that's the point. He's like, listen, remember you're saved by grace alone through faith in Christ. So don't listen to people who teach to you an external kind of religion based on works that you're saved by according to what you do, who teach works and not grace, who teach man's thoughts and not God's word. It's not about your religious works. Those can't save you. Those won't transform you. It is the grace of God through Christ Jesus and his finished work for you on the cross. That is what saves you. So hold on to that don't turn away from that right and so for the 251st time he talks about the tabernacle and the altar and the most holy place and all of that to remind us that not neither the priest nor our own sacrifices can make us right with God there's no person on the planet outside of Jesus who can reconcile you to God it's Christ and Christ alone don't make your sacrifices greater than his don't start with grace and turn back to works Receive what Jesus has done for you. That's grace. And you guys have heard me say this a lot, but I'll keep saying it. We don't graduate from grace. It isn't grace and then something else. It's grace. It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. We stay there. All right, verses 13 and 14. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an uh, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Now we're back to mission again. This idea that the world isn't our home, that it's not the world's approval that we're after. I, I, I don't know if you've ever found this to be true in your experience, but really obeying and following Jesus isn't always all that well received by the world. Anybody? Like, Jesus said that that the world hated him, and you should expect that they will hate you too. That no servant is greater than his master. If the world treated him a particular way, they're also going to treat you a particular way. So it ought to make us a little bit uncomfortable and maybe have some questions. If everybody thinks good of us, it it probably either means that, that we're not being honest and truthful, we're not really saying things we know to be true, or we're not really engaging the culture very much. Contrary to popular belief, and Jesus is my homeboy gear, that's that's not fundamentally true, right? Jesus is not cool to a lot of people, like really following Jesus, like really obeying him. 2 Corinthians 2 says that for some people, The gospel in Christ is going to be an aroma of life, and for others it will be the stench of death. Now, I don't know what that actually means, but I have this idea that that the stench of death means I don't want to be around it, right? My closest thing I can relate it to is like like a freezer that's expired with meat in it. And when, I, when we were in New Orleans years ago, um, after Katrina, we, we had to go, uh, and, and we were helping to tear down homes and stuff. Sorry, guys, this thing's not holding my ear. Um, but but we, we went to this one house, and they had this big old fridge and freezer um, in their yard that hadn't been opened for like six months. And we didn't know what was in it, and we made the mistake of opening that freezer, and it was chock full of meat. Like, that had been rancid for months sitting there. And the smell was so bad, I saw a little kid on a bike, like two blocks away, put his shirt up over his nose as he rode down the street. I mean, it was just like, we were, it was like a wave that washed over you. I, I don't know if it's like that. It's probably worse than that. But, but in other words, like, you want to get away from the stench of death. There, there's going to be people, if you really follow Jesus, who don't like you. Are you okay with that? There's gonna, and they're not going to not like you because you're just not cool. Or they're not going to like you because you believe some things they're against. Because you hold to some truths that they're not for. People don't love to receive the fact that they are a sinner in need of a savior. The call to repentance is not always fun and cool and all that other kinds of things, right? People are going to say things about you if you really follow Jesus. Are you okay with that? That's part of the mission. We go outside of the camp bearing the disgrace that he bore. Here, verses 15 and 16. Through Jesus, therefore, 
Let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. In other words, we fix our eyes not upon this world and pleasing people, but upon heaven and pleasing God. We set our hearts and minds upon praising him and bringing glory to him in everything and openly professing his name. We're not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation, right? We're not hidden with our faith. We live it out. We put it on display. We make it known for all to see and for all that comes with that good and bad. Because as Jesus told us in Luke 9, 26, he said, listen, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, I'll be ashamed of them when I come in glory. Jesus is like, listen, if you're not going to proclaim me before men, I'm not going to proclaim you before my Father. That's real. Our life is meant to be a praise unto God. It's meant to be a display to the world. Is that true of us? Is that true of you this morning? Are you afraid this morning? Are you afraid of what everybody thinks? Are you afraid of what they'll say? Are you afraid of, uh, of what, what they might do? Or maybe the fact that they won't want to be around you, you won't be invited over, whatever it might be, if you actually really stood for Christ, if you actually really obeyed and followed him? Or is your life an open profession of who he is and what he's done? Verses 18 and 19 the writer says, pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Now, now that, that, that's a worthy prayer right there. That may, Maybe that's something for us to pick up this morning. God, help me to live in such a way that my conscience is clear and that I honor you in every way. I don't know. Maybe dare to pray that one and see where it takes you. Yeah? God, help me. Wouldn't it be great? I, I, don't, I just, man. Like, if you go to sleep every night and your conscience is clear and you've lived to honor the Lord, man, that's like, I tell you, that's a good, all right. Anyways, this is a, trying, to get, trying to get us there, guys. Okay, so here, here's, here's really the last thing that he has to say. Because because ultimately the last things he has to say, we don't really need to talk about. If you jump down to verses 22, he says, hey, listen, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation. In other words, listen to this. Okay, bear with this, like get it, like this is for you, church. Too often we like read God's word and we leave it where we read it. That that's, that's, does nothing for us. That's not profitable for us in any way. James even said, listen, like, like don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. It isn't beneficial if you know God's word and don't live it. It's worthless. So he's like, listen, get this word that I'm speaking to you. But I love that he says, for I have written you only a short letter. Good time, not a long time. You know what I'm saying? Writer of Hebrews. He says, I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Greet your leaders and all God's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. Grace be with you all. Okay, that, that's how he ends it. I, I think his real conclusion for me and for us this morning is this prayer that he prays in verses 20 and 21. And so I want to close with this. And Noel, you and the team can come back up as we do, but. But here's what he says at the end of all of this. He says, now may the God of peace. May the God of peace. And I love that because, because true peace, lasting peace, real peace, peace between man and God and, and from and amongst men. Peace this way and this way only really comes through Christ is only really founded in God. If you want to experience real and lasting peace in your life, it's through Jesus. And if you want to see real and lasting peace in our world, it's also through Jesus. Like government can do some stuff, but Jesus is better. Amen? Like, like the world needs the gospel, okay? If we want to see the peace, peace rule and reign. He says, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. Two things he's saying. One is that God raised Jesus from death to life so that in Jesus, by trusting in him, you too could be raised to new life uh, through this, through Jesus, our great shepherd, which means like, listen, Jesus is going to take care of us. Jesus is going to lead us. Jesus is going to provide for us. Jesus is going to discipline us. Jesus is going to take us to that place that God is directing 
directing us all the way into the arms of our Father. Like we can trust Jesus, he's our great shepherd. Okay, may this God of ours who is our peace and our shepherd Jesus, verse 21, equip you with everything good for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him. May the God of peace and through our shepherd Jesus equip you, church, with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him. One of the things that I think is so amazing about the Lord, and that's I believe is for us to know this morning, is that and this could really be an entire sermon, but I'm just going to say it like this, is that God doesn't only love, God's not only pleased with the final version of you, he's pleased with you in the process. Wherever you are, right in the middle of where you are, in the midst of your hardships and struggles and doubts, Jesus is working everything in you for his will. Jesus is working it out in you. I love in Philippians when it says that, that he is faithful to complete the good work that he's begun in you. And he is. And, and so just like a true artist, right, that the artist who's got some paint on a canvas, and me and you look at it and we're like, what's that? He already sees what it is. Like God is a creator. He's an artist. And so while you're in the middle of, of what looks like a mess, God already sees that final that final version, that, that completed work, and he loves you right where you are, and he's leading you to where he has for you to be. And so we can trust him. We can have faith in him. We can believe him. We can know that Jesus is better because he is. And so I, I'm just, you guys stand with me. I'm just going to read that for us one more time. Hebrews 13. May the God of peace, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray, and then we're just going to worship Jesus together. Father, thank you for this morning. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. God, thank you for, God, not just leaving us on our own to figure out this life, to, not, to figure out this journey, but God, I thank you that you give us your word. You give us instruction. You lead us, God. You teach us. God, you reveal to us not just who you are, not only who we are, Lord God, but what you have for us, God, how to walk it out. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that, that this word written to the church, God, that this word would be planted in us. Father, would you give us a heart for the family of your family, God? Would you give us a heart for our brothers and sisters? Would you help us to love one another? God, will you give us the courage to show hospitality to the stranger. God, to reach our neighbors, to reach our co-workers, to reach our classmates. God, would you give us a heart for those who are mistreated and the oppressed, for the prisoner, for the orphan, for the hurting and the broken. God, we, we even lift them up to you right now, Lord, just our brothers and sisters all over the world, those we mentioned this morning. Father, would you even right now, by your spirit, just minister your peace over them? God, would you just comfort them right where they are? And God, would you open up the doors for them to be released, Lord God, from prison? May it be a supernatural work like it was for Paul, Lord God. May, may it just be this work, God, where they're just amazed, where, where just like the guards were amazed in Acts, Lord, that, that, that the governments and the guards there would be amazed at how this person was released. Lord God, would you just do a supernatural work? Would you give them great favor? Lord, would you surround them? Would you encourage them? God, I pray for that, that even other brothers and sisters in the faith would rise up, not only to pray, but to write to them, to encourage them. God, give us a heart for those. 
those brothers and sisters, Lord God, who are being persecuted right now because they follow you. Father, help us to honor marriage. God, help us husbands to love our wives, wives to love husbands. God, help our marriages to be a reflection of you. Lead us in that. God, help us to be a people who don't chase after stuff, but chase after you. God, help us not to spend our life running after things, things that that will only spoil and fade away and never satisfy. But God, help us to chase after you. Remind us of the cross, Lord, that it's all about grace, that it's not about our works, that it's not about what we can do, but what you have already done for us. God, help us to receive that. I pray that every person here would know that this morning. And if there's someone here who has not yet received your grace, God, that they would do that this morning, who have not yet received your finished work on the cross. Lord, that this morning, God, that they would have eyes to see and a heart to receive, Lord, what you have done for them. And if that's you this morning, it's a gift, okay? Grace is a gift. Here's what it means. It it means you don't deserve it, but Jesus paid for your sin, and all you do is say thank you. You say, Lord, I'm giving you my sin, and I'm receiving your righteousness, and I'm following. I'm putting my hope and my trust in you, and I'm following you. I receive what you've done for me. It's grace. God, help us to be a people on mission. Father, help us to be a people who aren't afraid. God, help us to be a people who are courageous. God, help us to be a people who care more about what you think of us than other people. God, help us to be a people who are more concerned with what you say than what other people say, with what you feel than what other people feel, Lord God. Help us to be a people who put our light on a stand for everyone to see, Lord God, whether it means criticism, whether it means people don't want to be around us, for whatever it means, Lord God, that we would dare to chase after you, follow you, live for you, proclaim you, Lord God, that, that your name would be praised from our lips and our lives. God, we thank you this morning that you are at work right now in us. God, thanks for loving us right where we are, right here in the process. And God, that you are leading us to completion in you. God, I pray that this would be true of us as a church and a people. Father, do a work in us. Holy Spirit, do a work in us that only you can do. God, give us a heart. Give us a heart that is yielded to you, surrendered to you, and available, God, for all that you want to do in and through us. Lord, we love you this morning. Jesus, you're better than everything and any, anyone. You're the, you're the best of all of it because everything is founded in you. Help us to know it. Jesus, we love you, Father. We love you, Holy Spirit. We thank you for your work and your ministry. God, we, right now, we lift our eyes to you. We lift our hearts in praise and in worship. And we bless you, Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.